Many people in our food community have been seriously impacted by Superstorm Sandy, and our hearts go out to them. At HRN, we've been covering these stories since the storm hit. To learn more, visit our website at www.heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Excuse me. And I'm Mary Izette, and you're listening to Ferment, Ferment About, about it. it, a podcast on all things fermentable. With a particular interest in home brewing. Airing live regularly on heritageradionetwork.org. If you missed the live broadcast, you can always find us archived on heritageradionetwork.org and as a podcast on iTunes. All right, we're going to introduce you to beer and home brewing on today's show. Absolutely. And why us? Why <laughs> us? Where are we from? What is our background? How do we have the audacity to do this today? I promise this is the first and last time we will talk about ourselves, but we will do it for some, uh, just for some background check. Uh, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I was born Christ- Christ- Cristobal Rafael Estuardo Cusmi Oman, uh, son of Jadis Blurton and Pepe Jose Cusmi. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, let's jump forward a little bit. Uh, I first started home brewing in, uh, 2001. Uh, I've always wanted to live on a farm and be totally, you know, living on off of the land and doing this kind of thing. And I, I ended up moving to Philadelphia in 2001 and, uh, was introduced to George and Nancy of Home Sweet Homebrew on 20th and Sansom. Uh, and those are my, those are my godparents, uh, of homebrewing. Anyway, I started doing things down there. I was working a job in New York City at the time and, uh, I became instantly addicted to the fermentation process and to the anxiety of what would happen during this this time. Like, you know, I was like, I made this beer and I was so scared about what was going on. Once you brew the beer, which we'll talk about later, uh, you know, there's this fermentation, there's this weight about, you know, waiting for the beer to, to become a beer. And uh, I wasn't sure what was going on. And I was kind of online at my job, very droll job. And, and it was six o'clock. I was looking at all these homebrew kind of things, and I found out about the New York City Homebrewers Guild, which happened to meet that night uh, at 6.30, or at 7.30, and I rushed over to this, and I met some really great friends in homebrewing, which was the first night of another friend of mine, uh, Chris Post of Wandering Star Brewing Company, and we became great friends and formed Wandering Star Brewing Company years, years later. Um, I got into, once I started homebrewing, I got into the, my palate and realizing and really exploring the flavor components and how to bring something from an idea or from conception into the glass. And I started really dealing with how that related to food. And in doing such, I started hosting some beer pairings um, at my local favorite, Jimmy's 143, and uh, and just started really, really, really enjoying chocolate and beer and bacon and beer and and uh, all all sorts of various things and with a target audience of people who were not beer people, a target audience of wine enthusiasts and food enthusiasts. And through doing that, um, I formed a partnership with Mary Izette. Hi, Mary. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I first met Mary uh, because it's as the New York City, in, as part of the New York City Home Brewers Guild, we started uh, the BJCP program. Uh, and BJCP standing for the Beer Judge Certification Program. We held some <laughs> classes. That's an American Home Brewers Association sanctioned uh, registry kind of credentials to be 
to be a certified beard judge. Uh, and Mary came into the class having found out about that. And uh, we met at that time and we she had a food and beer meetup group. Is that what it was? Yeah, beer and food study group. The study group. And uh, we formed a partnership called the New York City Duke Station Advisory Team and kind of co-joined forces doing all that. Uh, and since we've been great friends and here we are today. Where are you from, Mary? <laughs> so uh, my background is a little bit different. So I have a science background. I, um, I have a bachelor degree in biology. I did a couple of uh, years of grad school in the sciences after that. Um, and I started, I was, my dad was really into craft beer. So that was something we could always talk about. Um, he would always call me and say, hey, I'm at this brew pub, you know, drinking this beer. And we don't, it was always a good, um, a good discussion between us. It was our, my, my dad and my thing together. Um, so I started ha- doing private tastings for friends. I had a crazy birthday party with a, I think we tasted, I don't know, 16 beers. We ended with the Dogfish Head Worldwide Stout, 18%. Oh it was it was an intense evening. We probably had 12 different dishes, all made with beer. Um, around that same time, I was going to Beercraft. Actually, it's a great local craft beer store in, uh, craft beer store, and actually now they, they do on-premise as well. You can drink there um, in Park Slope. And those guys would always ask me, hey, Mary, why, why don't you start brewing? You know, you come in, you ask us all these questions, you're, you're doing these tastings for your friends. What, you know, you're really into this. Why don't you start brewing? Um, and around that same time, uh, somebody gave me a, a beer kit as a gift. So in January of 2006, I started homebrewing. Um, I heard about the New York City Homebrew Guild, this, the beer judging certification program classes. It was the first time I think they'd done classes in eight years. Um, and I thought, oh, that's a thing for me. I want to learn more. So I, sh- I rolled into this class and, and and I just got sucked into it. And now you're president <laughs> of the New York City Homebrewers Guild. Yeah. So Chris was uh, is a, a former president of the New York City Homebrewers Guild. We were both previous presidents of the Malted Barley Appreciation Society, yep. which is another um, beer. It's mostly beer appreciation society, but also has a lot of homebrewers that come. Um, I'm the current president of the New York City Homebrewers Guild. I'm a national beer judge, so I did actually take the the beer judge exam in 2006. I studied really hard, and I I learned a ton, um, and I qualified um, to become a national beer judge. I I earned enough experience points to to reach that level last year. Um, I also started writing the uh, New York City Long Island column for Ale Street News in May of 2008, I believe, was my first call, and I've been doing that ever since. That's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, really keeps uh, lets me stay on top of the, the New York City Long Island uh, beer scene. What else is going on? Well, there's all sorts of stuff going on. We're starting this podcast called <laughs> Ferment About It. Why Ferment About It? What is it? What, are, what is our focus? What is this podcast? So we are going to basically talk a lot. We're, we have backgrounds in home brewing and uh, this magical magical beverage we love we love beer and uh why focus on beer instead of wine and cider and mead we will talk about wine and cider and mead throughout the course of this we'll have and all things fermentable all things fermentable um but we really 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 love beer and that's our background we'll learn with you as we go through the course of this thing and i think homebrewing has been a constant i mean that's always i think when we do even though we're involved in the craft beer community we're always talking about oh how would you go about making this beer or or more things for more of a brewing um absolutely angle absolutely beer is the lubrication of social intercourse we love it so 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 much and uh what is beer what is what is this thing called beer what is this thing called beer oh i'm a musician too. that's, that's <laughs> kind, of my, kind of my thing um you know the beer supplements that we live there um beer and music it's amazing it's amazing yeah, absolutely great they live together anyway beer the magical magical beverage this, that we love beer um basically beer is a prepared meal for 
the featured guest yeast. Uh, basically, beer is made of four ingredients. It is malted barley or wheat. It is hops. It is water. And it is yeast. And uh, if you can cook, if you can make oatmeal, you can make beer. Uh, basically, I think you know some of the earliest beers were oatmeal that might have been sitting around too long or things of the nature. Yeah, they always say that uh, back in the day, people used to store their grain in clay pots. And these clay pots, you know, would crack, water would seep in, they would go around to, to get this, find this kind of soupy beverage, drink it, and then you know, get these, these nice, warm effects from it. And what was basically happening is the water was, was uh, creeping into the barley or into the grain or into the cereal, and uh, which allowed a happy home for the airborne yeast, which ended up fermenting it and making it an alcoholic beverage. Because actually, when, uh, when yeast eats sugar, um, it poops out alcohol and carbonation. It's fantastic. So basically, when we're drinking beer, we're drinking yeast poop. It's delicious, <laughs> delicious and awesome. Um, yeast byproduct. That's yeast. a much more pleasant term. <laughs> <laughs> Says you. You're not a poop eater? <laughs> anyway, so, but I digress. Anyway, to make beer, it's very simple. Even No matter what scale you're making it on, whether you're home brewing or the, the process is the same, uh, you know, no matter how big your batch is. But as home brewers, we generally only make five-gallon batches. But I'm just going to talk about the general process in this first thing. And then at the, the second session of this, we, uh, Mary will introduce you to a, a very applicable first beer to make at home. Um, the process of making beer starts with mashing. Basically, mashing is when you're making this kind of porridge, this oatmeal, this cereal, you're going to basically mix water with crushed grain. Uh, and that will, what happens in this process, you'll, you'll, that'll happen for about an, an hour. You leave the water in with the grains and it gives at, at a certain, certain temperature, temperature, yep, which will allow the starches to convert to sugar. And you'll come out with this, when you separate the solids from this liquid, you'll have what we call wort. Uh, it's spelt W-O-R-T, but pronounced W-E-R-T, wort. Um, and this is basically the food for the yeast. But it's not ready just yet after that point. Although um, you could definitely, I mean, you're basically making a sugar water. So you'd, that could be fermented on its own. That's the, the very basis of, of mashing and creating this wort. It's just creating food for the yeast, like Chris said. Absolutely. But you'll get a lot of funky things going on in that because it hasn't been sterilized. Right. And there is a saying that... Uh, sanitized. That, san, sorry, <laughs> sanitized or sterilized. Uh, sanitized. So there is a, there's a saying that, uh, you know, brewing is glorified janitorial work, which I like <laughs> to say a lot because, I mean, you want to keep everything clean. And there, there are a couple different books to get you started, one of them by our, our home brewing godfather, uh, Charlie Papazian, called The Complete Joy of Home Brewing, which is a great recommendation. And there's also a John Palmer's book. Um, but there's another book by David Miller. Um, David Miller's really talking about be scared, be very scared. There's there's <laughs> there's funky stuff all around, and you know if you don't control this funky stuff, that you know you're going to get this real sour kind of thing. But the next part of this process is to boil, and in the boil you will sanitize and sterilize or st this this uh, this wort that we have. Uh, but the boil is also important for other reasons. Uh, this is going to denature the enzymes that were active in the mash. It's going to sterilize that wort. Well, sorry, we talked about that. It's going to stabilize proteins. But also during this time, we're going to add hops. Because if you have all that sugar, you have this really sweet, sweet, lovely, um, but it wants to, you know, it's way too sweet. It's not a very drinkable thing. It'll be very cloying if you don't counteract that with, uh, with some bittering units. Um, and in the old days, they used to use bark, leaves, or spices, or herbs. Um, but 
And that was called a gruet, by a the gruet, way. If you just one of my those. favorite styles. Yeah, because you're crazy. You brew all <laughs> sorts of crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that for a brief moment. What kind of stuff do you brew, Mary? But I digress. Yeah, I digress. Let's talk about brewing. Let's all talk right, about let's home go brewing. Back. We'll go, go back, back to we that. Wanna, we want to no, make this fun. a smooth think... brewing process. All right, 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 right. So back. Okay, we were just talking about Chris. So Chris was talking, beginning to talk about your boiling and. What, you're getting your bitterness to balance your beer. So how do you get that bitterness now? We're not doing it. Most people aren't doing it with roots or spices or weeds these days. What are we using? We're pretty much the standard. Uh, the standard herb to use is our hops. Uh, they are related to the cannabis. The, they are in the cannabis family. Uh, it's another, the closest relative. The closest relative. <laughs> um, but basically, they also function different ways. You don't just get bittering units from it. You can get flavor and aroma. But during this boil process, this is how you really manipulate these hops to get what you want in this in this process the longer a hop is in a boil or the longer a hop is boiled uh the more bitter the bittering units you'll get but it will lose its flavor and aroma so this is why generally uh things are quote-unquote triple hopped <laughs> so you, you put hops in the beginning uh you put hops in about 50 minutes towards the end of a boil and a boil generally lasts you want a 60 minutes 60 minutes uh to, to boil a beer um, that from no matter how big the batch is, you know, if you're doing five gallons, two gallons, one gallon to 15 barrel or 500 yeah. gallons or, you know, crazy. Um, the, the time is the same. This is all the same process. Like I'm saying now hops. Let's go back. So I know you, you were talking about how hops you're going to use hops for bittering, for flavor and aroma. But what else? There's a couple of other reasons that we use hops. And one is hops is actually a natural preservative. So alcohol, of course, is a preservative as well in your beer. But hops also act as a preservative. So they're going to make your, your beer last longer no matter what. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, there's a bunch of great stories and a bunch of styles that were built around this concept, uh, which we'll get to much later. Um, but you'd put these hops in, you know, 15 minutes before the end for flavor, about five minutes before the end for aroma, or at the very last minute at, at, you know, when you're done with the boil, or even afterwards for some dry hopping kind of thing. But at this point, this is the time to be very scared. You spent an hour boiling this, this beer and making sure that it's sterilized. But if you were to introduce yeast, so you prepared this meal for this yeast. Basically, like I said, you know, we're just cooking a meal. There's, a, there's another saying that I, that I really loved, you know, brewers uh, make wort. Yeast makes beer. So basically, we're preparing wort. We're preparing this food, this this fantastic meal that this yeast is gonna gonna eat and 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 uh, and create this this wonderful social lubricant. Um, but at this point, the yeast can't eat food that that that's that hot. I mean, imagine if you ate or drank boiling liquid; it would be very <laughs> painful and terrible. You would die. Yeast would die. So at this point, this is when we want to get it. We want to cool it, uh, and we want to do that as fast as we can. So as a home brewer, you know, Mary will talk about it a little bit later, we'll do it with an ice bath, or there are different methods. Um, but at this point, we're getting it cold. We want to get it cold to less than 75 degrees. There are different – These. this is where all the variables come in as well. Uh, well, all of these have different variables. One of the reasons we really focus, we're going to focus on home brewing is because of these variables – in one making beer, there are so many different angles and directions to go, and there's it's a the world of opportunity in, in, in making this beverage are endless, endless. There are no rules. There are only two types of beer: good beer and the other kind. And you can make whatever you want within that realm. You're gonna dig it. Um, but at this point, so okay, we're gonna chill this beer, or we're gonna chill this wort, excuse me, and we're gonna get it down to below 75 degrees. Then we're gonna introduce yeast. But what is yeast? 
there are a lot of different kinds of yeast, and they will all impart a, a very different flavor on your beer. Um, there are two main types of yeast. Uh, there is lager yeast. There is uh, our ale yeast, and there are various strains underneath those umbrellas, and they will all make very different styles and have byproducts and, and flavors that come along with their fermentation process that will contribute to the characteristics of the, the end result. But basically, that's it. You give that yeast to that, it's going to give it. It's going to give uh, CO two. Uh, it's going to eat the sugar and sugar. Yeah, and release uh, carbon dioxide as well as produce alcohol, um, along with, as Chris mentioned, a, a myriad of other flavors and aromas um, and characteristics to the beer, which are also contingent upon the temperature. You could have the same yeast <clears throat> doing this at a different temperature. Uh, and you'll get a different get, get a different beer because of the temperature with which, the home with which you're giving this yeast. Um, and after this after this point, you're going to bottle it or keg it, um, and basically you're going to have beer to drink shortly thereafter. Yep, it's it's as easy as that. Um, and as Chris kind of alluded to, beer beer brewing can be this extremely easy process. Like you just mentioned, it's basically um, you know mashing your grain. You're going to boil that with some hops, you're going to cool it down, you're going to add yeast, and then you're going to put it in some kind of package. And that's the the very nuts and bolts of, of beer brewing. But beyond that, there's a whole wide world, which is exactly why we're why we're here to talk about home brewing. Um, there's a zillion yeah. options and, and styles and absolutely. excitement. It's and it's a fantastic uh, kind of melding of, of, of art and science. So I am involved with a commercial brewery, but despite that, I will never, ever, ever stop home brewing because of, well, first of all, you know, as, as a home brewer, I mean, if you can cook, you can home brew, but as a home brewer, I'm not, I'm not restricted by what's going on in the market. I'm not trying to sell any of this beer. I, I could be as creative as I want. I can have things fail for a very, I mean, it's very cheap to homebrew. It's very mm-hmm. cheap to make five gallon batches. It's very cheap to make a one gallon batch, two gallon batches. And, but you can do whatever, unless you use saffron, of course, that might get expensive. <laughs> but, um, but you can, which you can do, and it's highly recommended. Um, you know, but you let's could, yeah. So why do, what what keeps us homebrewing? Why why should you homebrew? We've gone through this process, but well, really, what does it mean to people? And I think there's a couple different reasons why people homebrew. Chris is talking about. So what? Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I definitely I love the scene. I love I, you know for one you know I I'm introduced to you, Marion. <laughs> I think you are freaking awesome. I kind of love you too. But, <laughs> but um, there's just so much fun. So many fun people that are homebrewing. It is interesting, especially for us, because we live in New York City, and we we have access to so many different beers and so many different great beers from all parts of the world. Um, you know, it takes a certain kind of person. This is a project-minded person. Um, I'm very project-minded. I really love the act of it. I love the anxiety. I got addicted to the anxiety of that fermentation process. Like, you don't... Unlike cooking... Sorry, we did talk about it. If you can cook, you can homebrew. But when you make a meal, you're ready to eat it immediately. And it and that, that you know the the food is ready, but with this you have to wait. And if you did not clean or did not sterilize, <laughs> that small little piece of bacteria could turn into a crazy, crazy giant flavor that screws up everything or makes everything awesome. Who knows? But you have this this wait time, this fermentation period, uh, with which is very, very exciting. And I'm absolutely addicted to that personally. But. We are going to be right back with the homebrew recipe. Thanks for listening to Ferment About It on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA. 
Since the inception of the Heritage Turkey Project, more than 10 of Frank Reese's partner farms have converted to Good Shepherd from a corporate system whose weak protocols on husbandry, welfare, and genetics necessitated the use of subtherapeutic antibiotics at all stages of production. When Frank Reese started in 2002, he hatched 900 eggs in his barn. This year, 20,000 eggs were hatched. This is an enormous victory for sustainable agriculture and biodiversity. For more information and to order your Heritage Turkey today, visit HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Chris Kuzmi and Mary Izette. Yes, we are. And you're listening to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yes, 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 yes. So we talked a little bit about the basics of home brewing, or sorry, of brewing, brewing. the process, the fundamental process, the nuts and bolts. Now, Mary is going to get you right into it. We're going to share a recipe, and well, she's going to talk more about it. But uh, no matter what you get from uh, you don't need to take notes. We will have notes uh, on the website at heritageradionetwork.org. Yep. And uh, first I want to actually talk, we didn't remember what you talked about, about why I brew nowadays. Um, so I brew, so like I said, I come from this science background. I love cooking. Um, I was, I really enjoyed chemistry lab, except for the, the fact that we were graded on, on yield. So chemistry lab was super fun, except for the fact that you actually had to, to worry about, you know, getting everything right and, um, and coming up with this exact quantity where beer I think allows you, it's kind of the fun of that I had in chemistry lab, but combined with the, the artistic creativity of cooking, um, or even making a piece of art. Um, and I like to brew because I like to drink weird stuff. I like grew it and, and smoke beards and sour beers and beers made with, uh, lavender and made from rye bread and bacteria. Yeah. And you can't buy that a lot of times. Uh, I've been to beer festivals where I've had this an amazing beer that you can't, you just can't buy on the market. So I, I take that, you know, those tasting notes home with me in my head and I do a little research and then I, I can brew a beer that's either, you know, close to that beer or influenced by it. I take all these, uh, these flavors and aromas that I like from these oddball beers and, and try to work out a, a beer to make from it. Or, or maybe it's a culinary inspiration, right? One, one thing on my list I've always wanted to do, um, we've talked about oh, green papaya. Chris and I both love, we were in Thailand uh, last December or January, and um, we love you know papaya, green papaya oh, salad. Yes. And I'd love to make a green papaya salad beer, kind of boil that down to something that would be drinkable. Probably you, w- you wouldn't want more than a pint of it, but... Um, you know, take take the flavors down a notch and translate that into a, a something drinkable. So I really do it because I like to create stuff that I, I can't find or that that just come out of my imagination. But as Chris said, it's also economical. You can brew a case of beer for definitely than you cheaper than less expensive than you can buy it in stores. Good quality. Talking about good quality craft beer, which is what we're, what you'll be making Absolutely. as a home brewer. And hypothetically speaking, if somebody did make a green papaya beer commercially. It would probably be so rare that it and it would end up hiked up on the shelf. It'd probably be a twenty dollars <laughs> bottle. When you know, just make a, make yourself your this this little green papaya. Yeah, you could whip out a, a gallon or two of that in yeah. your kitchen and, and have it ready to drink in a few weeks. And and who it doesn't matter if if no one else likes it. If if it makes you happy, then that's that's, that's what's right. important. There are two types of beer: good beer and the other stuff. <laughs> the and other by the way, reason, that's a Dick Ellington quote. 
the other reason um, that people brew is because they they it, there's a lot of satisfaction in it. I mean, you're creating this amazing beverage that is a social lubricant and, and makes people happy or ca- you know causes happiness. Um, and you're able to share that with your family and friends. It's there is nothing like rolling into a party or a family reunion or something with a six pack of beer that you have brewed to be able to crack open those bottles and share something that you have made with people. It's really a wonderful feeling. That's right. When we say taste the love, we don't mean, (laughs) (laughs) we mean it literally. Yeah, we do. (laughs) And the other reason is I think a lot of people, they really like a beer that's on the market, but they can't, they want to make it themselves. So, or maybe it's a beer that's on a market. We've all heard about those notorious beer releases where you have to, you have to camp out in line the night before. You maybe get a lottery ticket. You're limited to one bottle, and it's going to cost you, you know, half your first half your week's paycheck. Um, you can brew those beers. I've had those beer, a lot of those beers, and I've had homebrew clones of those beers. And let me tell you, the homebrews, a lot of the homebrew clones are as good as, if not better, than the commercially brewed beers. Agreed. But those lines are a hell of a party. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody brings their homebrew in those lines, and it's fantastic. Good stuff. So those are some of the reasons why people homebrew. There's also a great community. Um, as we mentioned, I'm the current president of the New York City Homebrew Guild. There's about, I'd say, around 15 homebrew clubs or meetups, at least 15, in the tri-state area right now. It's a great uh, way to meet people and, and really good people. I think homebrewers tend to be really good people. They're very generous and caring and, and a lot of and fun. And very sharing with knowledge. Like, if you want to start homebrewing, no matter where you are listening to this, we encourage you definitely to reach out to your local clubs, find your local clubs. If you don't know, go to go to American Homebrewers or the, the Homebrewers Association website and find a, a, a sanctioned uh, club in your area. Right. And um, I think that there there is something to be said about being part of a community. And the homebrewing community is just a fantastic one. I mean, I've traveled across the country um, to go to beer festivals and, and end up hanging out with homebrewers that, you know, absolutely took me under their wing um, and, it, you know, and showing me around the, the town or, or whatever. I mean, it's just generally a, a great group of, um, of people around the world. Yeah. So let's talk about how easy it is. We've talked about how to make home brewing, the basics of brewing. Let's talk about how you can brew in your in your apartment or home. What does it take? So we're going to start with what's called extract brewing. So when Chris talked about malted barley or using a grain, we're going to skip that step uh, in this type of brewing. So there are, when you, <clears throat> instead of mashing, there's actually companies that mash the beer for you and then spin it down into either a liquid or a powder. That's called dried malt extract or liquid malt extract. So they've done the mashing for you. You're not going to need you're not going to start from from all grain. You that cuts down some of the time and equipment needs. Um, and also it makes it simplifies things. Now, extract brewing is, is generally considered brew, a beginner brewing technique. But I'll tell you, it's faster. Even when you go all grain, even as an all grain brewer, I will do a, extract beers occasionally. It's something that you can easily do after work. Um, and it, it does allow you a lot of creativity and you can make beer. Listen, I've had, as I said, I'm a, I'm a homebrew judge and I've tasted homebrews that were extract brews that that absolutely took first place in their categories and in fact were were runner were um took best of show so you can make absolutely delicious award-winning homebrews with extract brewing and it saves time absolutely uh so you're going to start so that's that's what extract brewing is so where are you going to start you need to assemble assemble your ingredients now a lot of this stuff you're actually going to have at home especially if you're if you like to cook a lot you're going to start with a brew pot or some kind of stock pot you want it to be around four to five gallons which is also 16 to 20 quarts uh, usually is how they're sold in uh, restaurant or kitchen supply stores um, you're going to need some kind of large stirring spoon that's not wood so an aluminum or a stainless steel spoon why not wood uh, because it har- can harbor 
so wood has a lot of cracks in it, just and it can harbor bacteria and, and other yeast and, and all kinds of stuff. You want to eliminate the variables. Exactly. Like you got to be scared. Be very scared. They're <laughs> everywhere, and they are smaller. Like you know, these these funky but, things are smaller than yeast cells. So, but don't be too get scared. Into I'm scared. That's a difference between us. Absolutely. Chris is absolutely. I'm totally a, anal a nervous. About cleaning. Yeah, absolutely. he's a nervous brewer man. I I. I'm the most laissez-faire that, that you can probably get. And, and you I make still excellent make, sour beers. And, I make and excellent clean beers. Yeah, uh, now but, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, you, so we're going to talk about san- sanitizing in just a second. <laughs> so back to equipment. You need, as I said, some kind of brew, big four to five <laughs> gallon brew pot or stock pot, a, a non-wood spoon, large spoon, big enough to stir in your pot, a fermenter. You probably you can start with a food grade plastic bucket. That's very common for beginner homebrewers. Don't let it get scratched. That's right. Or glass, uh, something called a carboy, and that's basically like one of those big water containers. So you can buy those glass. I I like to use uh, better bottles or plastic carboys because they're easy for me to pick up and carry, and they don't break. You want an airlock, which you can get from your homebrew supply store. Sanitizer. Um, which you can also get from your homebrew supply store, and then a thermometer. You can use a kitchen thermometer. You probably already have one of those. Other things that aren't necessary but w- are helpful, and you might have a kitchen scale already, and then a hydrometer. That's a relatively inexpensive piece of equipment that you can also purchase at your homebrew supply store. All right, so you've got your ingredients put together. What do you do next? All right, we're going to go back to this clean and sanitize. So let's talk about the difference between those. So cleaning is you're just getting any kind of soil or dirt off of your equipment. Sanitizing is going one step further and eliminating part of, you know, the bacteria and or natural yeast or or bugs that are on that equipment. You're not necessarily removing all of them, but at least some of them. And then sterilize. Which could have even been in the water that you used to clean. So you want to kill that through through whatever sort of sanitizing agent that you have. And there are various ones on the market. Absolutely. Then sterilize is, is the the ultimate and we, we're not we don't need to sterilize as home sterilizing you're killing everything um and that's what you not, might need to do in a lab but you definitely do not need to do that as a home brewer so sanitizing i am a hardcore user of something called star sand yep. it's a little bit more expensive but it's available at your homebrew supply stores what are some of the other sanitizing equi- uh chemicals well you could use bleach uh and bleach works um but you want to give it if you do use bleach you want to give it enough time for for the any sort of residue to evaporate off uh because it can impart a funky flavor in your beer and make it kind of metallic and and uh just, just bleachy and funky How yeah iodophore is another one there's several oh, others yeah. Iodophore is, is, is Iodophore is the excellent alternative to Star Set if you don't want to spend the money. Iodophore works great, it works wonders. A lot of professional brewers choose Iodophore over over Star Sand because of the cost effective nature and it is just as good. But again, with, with Iodophore you want to make sure there's no residual. You want to use it as directed and in the concentration that that is directed. Otherwise you'll have a kind of you don't want any sort of iodiny flavor residual in, in the, the resulting beer. Right. But that's all stuff you can find online or at your, your local homebrew supply store. There's tons more of that we can talk about in the future. But basically, you've assembled your ingredients. You're going to sanitize. What do you need to sanitize? You need to sanitize um, your fermenter and your airlock, your thermometer, anything that comes in contact, basically, with the the beer after the boil. With the work. With the, with the sanitized work. After the boil. Exactly. Excuse me. I'm, I'm getting over a touch of cold, and I, I'm having some throat issues. So now that you've sanitized your equipment... We're going to go into the recipe. So I am using an extract recipe from our 
good friend Peter Kennedy of Simply Beer blog. It's simplybeer.com. And he's got a great recipe. He extract brewed for beers. He now does all great. He he makes fantastic beers. And I hope to have him as a guest on in the future because he's an absolute, he's a wonderfully creative brewer. Um, So this is a a recipe for his Hex Nut Brown Ale, which is an extract. So we're going to use this as an example as I take you through this process. So the first thing that you're going to do is... Before you use the extract, we're actually going to use some real grain, some real malted barley. And you're basically just going to make a tea from these grains. You don't, you don't need to mash them. You don't need to convert the starch to the sugar. But you want to get some of the flavor and color and aroma from these grains. So you're basically, we're using 8 ounces of brown malt, 8 ounces of caramel, 40, and 8 ounces of chocolate malt specialty grains. So, hold on. Uh, I neglected to mention the difference of grains. What are specialty grains versus base grains? So... Base grains need to be mashed. They need to be converted from, from starch to sugar. There's other specialty grains, which we can get into more in a... Right. Man, the, I mean, all of these, all of the ingredient, big four ingredients of beer have... There's so many options and uh, tons of variability. You, we really have a lot of creativity. But basically, when you use specialty grains, they don't need to be mashed. You're going to be able to get some kind of flavor or aroma or color or qualities. Which is the purpose of specialty <clears throat> grains. They're going to give you body. They're going to give you character. They're going to make the beer dark or light. Um, there's not going to be as much fermentable sugar right. as you get from your base grains, but they're going to be there. And so this is the reason we use this even in an extract. Mm-hmm. We do this to keep, provide these this this uh, malt character to the beer as, Absolutely. as opposed to just using this malt Ex- extract. And this is gives, why we're making the tea. Yeah, and it gives you an extra, it'll give you an extra dimension to the beer that you would not have if you used only extract. So basically, you're going to make a tea with these grains. When you, you would buy these at your homebrew store or online from a homebrew provider, they're going to crush them for you. So you get them, you're going to put them in some kind of bag, maybe a stocking or a net bag that you purchase, anything that won't let the, that'll keep the grain in, but allow the water in as well and water in and out. So you're going to steep these um, for about 30 minutes at around 155 degrees. So you heat about, you know, you want to start with like a 1.5 gallons or two gallons of water. You're going to steep these grains for about 30 minutes at 155 degrees to get all those good qualities, the color and the flavor and the body from these grains. Next, you're going to bring that, you're going to remove the grains, you're going to let them, uh, let the water drain out of the bag, and you're going to bring that water to a boil. Once your water is boiling, you're going to turn the burner off. Now, this is important because when, as you're, you're basically adding the sugar syrup. This We're using amber liquid malt extract, six pounds of amber liquid malt extract for this uh, recipe. And you can find this recipe online. We'll have the link on our site. Um, but you don't want that to scorch. So you're going to turn the heat off. You're going to stir in this malt extract. Stir it in until it's, it's good and dissolved. There's nothing sticking to the bottom that you can scorch. Turn your bur- burner back on, and you're going to bring it back up to a boil. Once... This is really important because you don't want you're using this malt extract to be your fermentable sugars, and if you allow it to scorch, then you're going to get these caramelized flavors, and it's going to turn into sugars that are non-fermentable. Um, so it's really important that you turn off the burner, make sure that you get it dissolved before you do the thing. Yep, but it's that's why it's, yeah. it's going to become non-fermentable sugars. Um, so once you've done that, once you're at a boil, you're going to add your hops. And this is our bittering hops. So we're going to, we're actually, for this recipe, we're adding one and a half ounces of Willamette bittering hops. Now, the hops come in three different types for home brewers. We have, um, you can buy, buy whole hops, you can buy leaf hops, and you can buy pelletized hops. And most home brewers, I like to use pelletized. It depends on your, on your, um, on what you want to get. But just know that, that hops come in three different types. 
Uh, you're going to boil for 58 minutes. At two minutes left from the time you turn off your your burner, you're going to add just half an ounce of Willamette hops. Is this going to give you a little bit of flavor and some aroma to your beer? Um, ah, then we go to what Chris said. Very important. We're going to cool it. Now, as a beginner home brewer, you're, you're dealing with... You know, your pot can probably fit into your sink. So you're going to put the lid on the pot and you're going to put it into your sink of ice water. As you, if you, you know, take this up as a hobby, there's other types of methods that you can cool in much faster. But that's a very good, easy way to do it. I mean, I did that for I don't know how many batches of beer before I actually invested in, in what we call a wart chiller. So you want to cool it to about 80 degrees or I'd, I'd say like between 70 and 75 degrees for this beer. Um you want to test that? You can test that with your thermometer, but you want to keep your thermometer sanitized. So Absolutely. I always, I always keep like a little plastic cup full of sanitized solution that I just keep like my thermometer in. I have my little yeast packet in there. Um, so anything, like I said, that comes into contact with the beer needs to be sanitized. So once your wort is down to around seventy to seventy-five degrees, you're going to pour that into your. Excuse me. <clears throat> fermentation vessel, Absolutely. either being a carboy or a, or a fermentation <laughs> bucket. Usually, the buckets are standard with 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 uh, you know new new brewers kits or the basic kits. It's a little easier to use. It's got a wide mouth. You can you know it's easy to see. These are not typical paint buckets. They're food grade buckets, yeah. uh, which are and they're available at homebrew supply shops yep. or at um, at a restaurant supply store, which we have a ton of in New York City. Um, so then, at this point, you're going to add your yeast, and as a, as brewers call that pitching yeast. Uh, I would recommend using liquid yeast. There's two major su- suppliers in this country: White Labs and Y Yeast. One comes in at White Labs comes in a tube. White Y Yeast comes in a what's called a smack pack. But basically, you're going to sanitize the outside of that yeast outside of that yeast container. You're going to pour it in. You're going to make sure it's oxidized. I mean, not. Oxidated. Not oxidized. Uh, Aerated. So, yeah, we did not talk about yeast needs a certain amount of uh, uh, oxygen in order to to survive and and be good and to really get the yeast working so that's eating and to make the yeast so happy. You don't want to, you know. Yeah, healthy yeast is a productive yeast. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, You want to shake the hell out of this, out of this, (laughs) out of this stuff to to get it. Or some people go and get, you know, advanced brewers will get an oxygen stone and and have that kind of thing. Listen, I've read some, yeah, there's studies on this. You're totally fine with with shaking or stirring rather vigorously. So you just want to get a little bit of oxygen to make the yeast happy. You're going to recap that. You're going to add your, put your airlock on. An airlock basically just keeps oxygen and and other stuff that's floating around in the air out of your beer, but it lets the carbon dioxide out so that you don't have an exploding vessel right. of that's some sort. That's very important, and I didn't mention that earlier. You know, during the during the initial fermentation process, you know, you're going to get a lot of uh, CO2 coming off of this yeast eating the eating the sugar, and uh, it's enough to make a vessel explode, and yes, not, it, the liquid would not be able to absorb. Absolutely, absorb. There, you could find some very entertaining photos and uh, and stories if you uh, do an internet search on exploding or uh, homebrew exploding yeah. airlocks. So um, then you're going to let it ferment. So it likes to you want to ferment depends on the yeast strain but for a typical yeast strain you would want to ferment maybe between 60 to 65 degrees yeah. um so you know test you test a typical ale yeast strain yes ale yeast which is what we're making um so you want to you know find the areas of your apartment that that stay that i mean this is a great time to brew because it's at least in new york city it's fall the heat's not on yet but the uh, you know it we're talking kind yeah. of room temperature temperatures in a future episode we'll talk about off flavors and what you know, yeah, fermentation sort of control, yeah. some te- tips and techniques. What the risks officially are. Absolutely. So you're going to let that ferment until the sugars are have all been converted, until the, it's stabilized. You can test that with what we call a hydrometer. The hydrometer just measures the gravity of the solution, so basically how much sugar is in there. Um, and 
once the that is stabilized, then you can package. And we can talk about packaging options in future, but most home brewers bottle. It's very easy to do. And that is how you brew beer. That's how you brew beer. It's as easy as that. And your It's apartment. as simple as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else is there? So if you're in New York, if you're in the New York area, we'd, we're just excited and we would be remiss not to mention um, the, the various places where you can get home brewing supplies here. Uh, we, we also recommend going online. Actually, Brooklyn Homebrew now has an online shipping thing. Uh, you know, when I started home brewing in 2001, there weren't any any there weren't any places in New York City to buy homebrew supplies, so I got everything online. Um, I also, like I said, I was in Philadelphia, so I got things from George and Nancy at, at, in Philadelphia. Um, uh, there is a place. There's a hydroponic store in Queens, but we have Brooklyn. Now we have, as of three years ago, four years ago, now I think uh, Brooklyn Homebrew, uh, Brooklyn Brew Shop. Uh, Bitter and Esters, which is really amazing. If you don't want to commit to home brewing, you can actually go to Bitter and Esters and you can brew at their shop. Yeah, that's what they, have, they have. What's it called? A brew on premises. Yep. Location. Um, First in New York State. Yeah, absolutely. And then that you can also buy home brewing supplies at the Whole Foods Bowery and at Brooklyn Kitchen in Williamsburg. So we're very lucky, like Chris said, to be able to um, to buy homebrew supplies locally. There's also a lot of good internet. Um, suppliers as well if you can't find what you want your your heart's desire ingredient at your local homebrew store absolutely but as uh, as adventurous brewers and as home brewers we strongly recommend going to your local uh, farmers markets and getting funky ingredients which which you can do now the important part if you're going to use funky ingredients and you want to make a beer or you have something to create you do have to make sure that they're sterilized or, or, or so, sorry sand i keep doing that <laughs> but i'm not a lab rat like you so i don't really know the difference on it I want to get into that later. <laughs> anyway, so, but, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you at least put it in the boil early enough to get that, but you still want to keep the flavor and aroma, depending on what you're going, there'll be different things, and we will get really into that Yeah, uh, that's, much that's one thing that we want to do on the show, is I love making small batches. I like to make uh, two, one, two, three-gallon batches of beer, and that's a great way to experiment with something. Uh, maybe it's an ingredient that there's not much info out there. I mean, I always Google, I come up with these, you know, beers, and I Google the ingredients and see what I can find. What, hey, what, what did this person do? When did they add it? How did they use it? How did it turn out? But I argue that two and a half <laughs> gallons is not enough. If, you're, if the process is the same and the, and the time requirement is the same, this is why not ongoing, make five gallon batches? This is an ongoing If it doesn't work, <laughs> you, we can just blend it with something else that is good and, you know, to varying degrees. You know, that's the other thing. You know, can do beer blending at this point. You know, if we have, I mean, Mary has, uh, we have a bunch of things in the fermenter right now. Some things that are really sour in, 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 a, in a way that don't really work, that we that aren't going to be good on our own, but will be great if we blend it with some other things. And so, yep. you know, that's the other advantage of doing things. If you have something, a failed experiment, it's never, a, a, it's not it's not a fail. It's so you're going to have something drinkable. Yeah. Um, just to Usually, what I mean, do you want to have? And it's okay to let that go and drain for no, it. We, we've all, as experience, you know, once you've homebrewed enough, you're going to have some of those. And that's totally okay. At least, look, everything that, the, the batches that I've poured down the drain, I've at least learned from. And this is important. So, so my first beer, most sugar is fermentable. Like, you know, yeast just loves sugar. It loves sugar. It's got a sweet tooth like a mofo. But uh, my first beer was, uh, was a porter, and I decided to get a bunch of molasses and throw a bunch of molasses into this porter. And I took two ladlefuls into, uh, of, of, of dark molasses, not the light molasses, and put it into this thing. And, yeah, I had a really strong beer uh, alcoholic-wise, but I also had uh, – or alcohol-wise, but I also had uh, a really – Really molassesy beer that was not the drinker, but was incredible to brine meat with. I mean, you know, you have a bad beer, you know, cook with it. It's amazing. It was the best. I, I won some uh, some competitions, chili competition, using that. Actually, it's great stuff. We used to brine ribs and in, in it. It's, it's amazing. It's good. It's never a loss, is, is my argument. But there are certain things. There are certain off flavors that are 
inescapable and will be worthy of drain yeah. pores. And but we'll you know, talk about that later. Yeah, for sure. you can look. There's other things you can do. You can make vinegar out of your out of a failed batch. But getting back to green market, that's one thing I would like to embark on at, in the, and talk about in the show is using your local green market ingredients, local seasonal ingredients to to create some fermented beverages. And we're not going to just talk about beer. We're going to talk about. I love to do fermented sodas, um, meads, and ciders, and there's a whole bevy of international fermented drinks that we can delve into and we will delve into. Absolutely. On Ferment About It at Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.